0: Yesterday and the day before, we talked a lot about um, not using animal manures and stuff for some of the dangers that are found with them, the antibiotics, the growth hormones, um, all the foodborne illnesses like your E. coli and salmonella. I've had several people come up to me and ask, well, you know, I've got my own chickens or I've got my own horse. That's a different story because you know what you're feeding your chickens and you know what you're feeding your horse and you know that you're not walking up to them with the... uh, Needle of antibiotics every day, and, and doing that. The only thing I would recommend on your chickens, check the food that you're feeding them because even a lot of the food that they just sell in feed stores is laced with, <clears throat> with, with arsenic. So do check this if you're feeding them scratch or whatever it's called, um, do check the source.
1: Thank you. Okay. Promise that uh, this morning would be a little more practical. Not so much of the uh, scientific theory. But um, before we actually get into that, some of you may remember the parable. I'm sure that all of us do. I mentioned it yesterday. I'm going to quote again from Matthew 13.3. He spoke many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow Notice that Luke 8 describes this. Jesus gives the explanation of the parable, and He said, the seed is the Word of God. And then He says, those by the wayside are those that hear, then comes the devil and takes away the Word out of their heart, lest they should believe and be saved. Then we get a Another piece of the puzzle in the next parable that Jesus told about the tares, he says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a man which sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Just a side note there. One wonders, um, the enemy comes in and sows his tears, while men are sleeping, sleeping is a state of unconsciousness. That means the devil is putting his, his thoughts into our mind when we're not aware of it. We'll get more to that later. So if you put all of these things together, you see that the soil represents the mind, Seeds are thoughts, but you notice that there's two kinds of seeds. There's good seed, and there's weed seed or bad seed. And uh, so you have good thoughts, which are unselfish thoughts, thoughts of ministry, thoughts that are in harmony with God's Word. And then you have the weed seeds, which are selfish, um, influenced by the principles of Satan, And you see also in these parables that there's a harvest. So there's going to be two kinds of harvest, the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh, as we see in the New Testament. In Christ's object lessons, I made reference to this statement yesterday, page 33, it says, because of its simplicity, the parable of the sower is not valued as it should be. From the natural seed cast into the soil, Christ desires to lead our thoughts to the gospel seed, the sowing of which results in bringing man back to his loyalty to God. That's a a lot in that uh, one sentence there. The way you get back to your loyalty to God is the result of sowing seed. Like to comment more on that, but because of time, I won't. He who gave the parable of the tiny seed is the sovereign of heaven, and the same laws that govern earthly seed sowing govern the sowing of the seeds of truth. And this is where I'm going to get the conclusion here. The difference between the outcome, between having a weed field weed-filled, unproductive garden and a garden with a great harvest depends on the seeds that you sow to a greater or lesser degree. Now if this applies not just to your garden, if this applies also to your own spiritual life and it applies to the ministry that you do to other people and particularly if it applies to what you do with your children, then um, what's important is, what's most important would be, I should say, the seeds you choose to sow. Now, it's interesting to me, I get, um, being in the business that I am, I get a lot of seed catalogs. And the the companies that sell seeds, and I've already answered the question I'm going to ask, but I did that on purpose, The companies that sell the seeds, what is the product that they are actually going to ship me if I pay them? Seeds. But if I get their catalog out, what do I see in the catalog? I see the harvest, I see the fruit. I don't know of any other business where what you buy is not what's described in the offerings in the catalog. When it comes to gardening, nobody cares what the seed looks like. Nobody wants to know the specifications on the seed, the the weight, the color, the shape. Those things are not at all important to the gardener. What is important to the gardener is what the harvest is going to be. So you sit down, If you are a real avid gardener, it might be in the middle of winter, and you get out the seed catalog and you say, I want a watermelon this year. I am trying to get a great tasting watermelon by the 4th of July, okay? Wishful thinking, right? And so you look at the description of the watermelon varieties that they sell there, and you can almost salivate seeing the juicy flesh and the description of how sweet it is and the weight and and all this kind of stuff, that's what you are buying even though the product you receive is a seed. The funny thing is is that when people actually think about, for example, their children or their grandchildren or your own spiritual life, we don't start with the desired harvest, and then select the seed very often. For example, if you say, what character, which is the harvest, what characteristics do I want to see in my children? What characteristics do I want to see in my children, my grandchildren? What characteristics do I want to see in myself? if you want to see somebody who has a high degree of integrity, what kind of seeds would you sow? Wouldn't you think that you would really emphasize truthfulness and integrity? Then why in the world would we show them tails? What in that what in that Piece of entertainment is truthful. What in there is full of integrity? Now, I'm not going to say that the lessons aren't, but when your child is watching something like that, are they focusing on the lesson or are they focusing on the storyline? I want you to think about that. The lesson is for mom and dad. The storyline is for the kids. And then you wonder why when kids grow up, the characteristics that you see, the harvest that you begin to see developed is not necessarily what you want to see. And I'm not wanting to pick just on something like vegetables. I'm just using that as an example that there are lots and lots of things that we do that we aren't thinking about the fact that every single thought that goes into our head is a seed. Every feeling that we have, that we experience, every sensory input that we receive is a seed. And that seed is guaranteed to produce a harvest just as much as the seed you plant in the garden. And you know, it's amazing to me what comes up in a garden that you didn't sow. You know, in our operation over in Arizona, I will find lettuce growing out in the middle of the desert field. I will find bok choy growing in among the tomato crop. And I say, where in the world did that come from? Well, you know, in another part of our operation, we are growing microgreens and somehow that seed there ended up in this spot here, there and I have no idea how it got there and then there's the weed seeds that we have no idea where they come from and I think it's important to keep in mind that seeds that get into your garden are not always consciously and deliberately placed there but it doesn't matter the harvest is going to happen whether the seed was placed there consciously and deliberately or whether it got there completely without your knowledge And that is the lesson of the parable Jesus told about the enemy sowing tares while men slept. They were not conscious of the fact that those seeds were going into the garden, but it made no difference to the harvest at all. When we think of... When we think of... um, um, It's not just... And I'm going to talk more about that tomorrow. It's not just a matter of avoiding the bad, and I want to emphasize that because I don't think it can be overemphasized. A garden is not a weed-free place. A garden is a productive place. Too many parents and too many Christians are focused on trying to get rid of the, the bad. They see bad here and they see bad there. You know, this children's program has that bad in it and this... This book has that bad in it and so they're focused on trying to get these things that might contaminate their child out of their life and forgetting that a garden, that's not the purpose of a garden. The purpose of the garden is to produce good things. The emphasis should be what can I put into the garden that the children will enjoy and love and be enraptured and entertained with that is actually creating good harvest in time. When it comes to simple plan to get more food for your out of your garden, you have two choices. You know one big garden or four small ones. Now you can have one big one and two small ones or one big one and ten small ones. It doesn't matter. Which would you rather have? If you had a choice Would you rather have one big garden or four smaller ones? Before you make up your mind, would you rather have four smaller ones that you grew one at a time? Now, you don't know where I'm going with this, probably. But um, when you look at how gardening has evolved in our society today, it came from, you know, over the centuries because you had one shot at growing food, and then you preserved it all. You had a big root cellar, you canned a fruit or dried it or whatever you did in, in times past, depending on what time in history it was. And so some of those, some of those cultural practices have been with us ever since, and so we, we go out there and we want to plant a big garden, because we want to get a lot of stuff. And I'm suggesting that one of the first Things you need to do if you want to have the most amount of food is to decide that your object is the most amount of food, not the biggest garden. Does that make sense? So, I have um, what I call the four Ps of the full circle garden. Petite, protected, planned, and prolonged. So, we don't use the word petite very often. But um, it's easier to remember four Ps than one S and three Ps or other things like that. The, the key point here is that you make your garden small enough, as small as you can make it, to take excellent care of it. A lot of times you go out there and you make a big garden but then you don't have the room in your budget for enough fertilizer to put on there. Or you don't have enough time in your budget to keep all the weeds out. Now that's not the only the only point there, but, but um, you start with making it small enough. Or
0: I hear of so many people that don't have enough time and enough resources to make the soil just what they want it to be when it's a really big garden.
1: Thank you. So you start with using a raised bed, and just as she said, you can then make the right soil. Now you can do all kinds of things, and I'll talk about that in a minute. You can do all kinds of things to making the right soil, but you are, you know, what you've got in your backyard is what you have in your backyard. If it's a heavy clay soil, if it's a sandy soil, if it's a beautiful rich loam, it doesn't matter, it's what you've got. But if you make a raised bed, particularly a sh- small sized raised bed, um, you can, if you choose, put anything you want in there. And uh, also, because it is small and... Um, And because it has a specific size, it's a lot easier to be able to calculate how much fertilizer you should put on and how often. And lastly, but not leastly, you can then automate your irrigation. Now, that's probably considerably less important in Michigan than it is in Arizona. But I think when you're done, I think you'll see that that being able to do that is what I'm talking about, is, certainly has a, has a place. Okay? The, the, uh, the second P is to protect. And um, when you use a low tunnel, now you can use a greenhouse, you can do anything you want, but, but uh, budget-wise, a low tunnel is certainly a lot more affordable, and you can protect your plants from rain, wind, and frost. Now, to me, there's an advantage in being able to keep the rain off your plants and then add the irrigation if you so choose. Because rain brings with it a lot of diseases and um, and other issues. And uh, you can, using a low tunnel, you can protect from insects and birds. Now, I'm not going to say that, that using a low tunnel you will never have any insect problems, but you can certainly mitigate or... Uh, reduce the pest pressure and um,
0: another can, advantage to not um, having the rain and using the irrigation instead and having that little covering is it makes your stuff like lettuce and stuff it makes it so much more tender and the, and the leaves don't get all tough and it just it's, it's really nice for eating and they're cleaner for washing yes for bringing in the house yeah they
1: don't get the you don't get the dirt splashed on it but um, that kind of goes against what I was saying the other day, doesn't it? That when you get the dirt splashed on it, then you have all those mycobacterium.
0: You still get some dirt on it, obviously. Okay.
1: Um, and then you can protect from weed seeds. Now, to me, this is really important. If you want to reduce the time, what do you want to do in your garden? Do you want to weed? Or do you want to grow plants? Good plants. Most of us... Now, I will confess that my wife and I usually... Uh, This time of year, we go over to our fields and try to get there by 5 or 5.30 to spend an hour or so weeding. We do that for exercise purposes. We really enjoy the chance to be out there weeding. Now, I don't think I would probably enjoy it nearly so much if I had to do it for eight straight hours. But um, it is weeding can be enjoyable uh, under the right conditions. And uh, the third one is to plan what you need for your family and no more. Now, if you want to have excess food for the neighbors, etc., you can plan that too. But um, I walk by a garden and I see that somebody has three rows of sweet corn, you know, 50 feet long in their garden, and I say... All that corn is going to come off at the same time. Now, somebody's probably going to freeze a lot of corn, which is a great thing to do i'm not I'm not uh, faulting that at all. I think that that those are great things, but a lot of times we do things, we do things not necessarily because they are they are something that we intentionally planned out and thought through and said this is the this is I've looked at all the options, and this is the best one, but because this is what we have always done or this is the way that we do things and uh, that's what I'm really addressing or
0: another thing that happens is that's just how many seeds you happen to have in your seed package and so you plant the whole package of radishes and then all of a sudden you no know, radishes you probably don't freeze and so what are you gonna do with them all
1: and and my wife will tell you that that uh, it's a for me planting six plants seems like a joke right and it's a lot easier to plant a lot of seeds But it's a lot harder to take care of that lot of seeds when it goes on, especially when you planned on taking a vacation and you got this large garden and who in the world is going to take care of it while I'm gone? And you come back and you can never really catch up because it's overgrown with weeds or, you know, it didn't rain the whole time I was gone and so there's all kinds of problems come.
0: But because I picked on radishes, I just have to throw this in really quickly. Start thinking about the food that you have and what you can do with it. Like radishes, you can take the radish tops and you can make this amazing little um, hey, you're getting minted adamant. pesto with it. That you would you'd be surprised how good it tastes. And um, you can take the the bottoms of the radishes, and we always just think to put them in a salad. You can make like a radish bruschetta that you just slightly braise. And I mean, these little things are fun and different. And then all of a sudden, food that that was like, oh, well, I only have one thing to do with it. Then you've got a whole bunch of fun things to do. Sorry.
1: Like I said, you're, you're getting ahead of I me. I know, I know, but I just See, I felt just bad for
0: picking on the radishes.
1: <laughs> okay. Actually, probably the one that you would really want to pick on would be the zucchini. It's proverbial how one zucchini plant um, can feed a whole block. And uh, fourth P, prolong the growing season use sequential crops. Now, that's what I was getting at when I said, do you want one big garden or four smaller ones? You can take one small garden and replicate it four times during your growing season, even in Michigan. And then instead of having to have all the stuff come off at one time, and then what in the world do I do with it, you can now be having a steady supply of food for a much longer growing season which is actually going to do a lot more for your budget and for your health because you're able to eat a lot of different things. And uh, part of that, of course, is to use transplants. And we'll get to that in a minute. And and then lastly, using polycovers, and I can add to that frost cloth, because those kinds of things let you extend your growing season remarkably. Now, I'm going to draw your attention here to a statement from... Adventist home, when you think of when she wrote this in the late 1800s, uh, it's remarkable to me, because I didn't think they had this kind of technology, but it really, I think, fits well with what I'm describing here. No one can succeed in agriculture or gardening without attention to the laws involved. Now, that's what I'm talking about when I say doing things excellently. When, when something gets too large, you can't give it the attention to the detail, or you can't pay attention to the details that you need in order to make things do the very best that they can be. And uh, you notice here, it says, "...the special needs of every variety of plant must be studied, and compliance with the laws governing each is the condition of success." Okay? The condition of success is hard work? Is that what it said? No. It didn't say the condition of success was hard work. It didn't say the condition of success was diligence. It didn't say the condition of success was anything other than obedience or compliance with the laws involved. You want to know how you get spiritual understanding? You look at the garden. If you are not getting good success in your garden, it's only because you are not complying with the laws involved. Whether that's ignorant or willful, it makes no difference. Once you understand that, then it frees you to ask the question, What? laws am I not complying with or what laws could I comply with better because I want greater success and once that thought gets thoroughly ingrained in our mind think about what that does to your spiritual life. You don't think about how the minimalist attitude towards observing God's law, you don't think about it as legalism. You understand that success is nothing more and nothing less than compliance with the laws involved. Whether it's moral or physical, it makes no difference. And so if we, if we understand that laws are good and laws are the condition of success, then we suddenly have a great deal of interest in law. Now, she goes into some specifics The attention required in transplanting that not even a root fiber shall be crowded or misplaced. Talk about attention to detail. Now, if you're planting a, a large garden and you've been out there planting for a few hours, is attention to not crowding or misplacing the root fibers on your mind? Not if you're like me. By that time, you're starting to get fatigued and losing Losing um, No, I'm not, I'm not in any way faulting somebody who wants to have a large garden. I'm just saying, don't make your garden larger, than you can take good care of it. Notice this next one here. The care of the young plants, pruning and watering, shielding from frost at night and sun by day, keeping out weeds, disease, and insect pests. The training and arranging not only teach important lessons concerning the development of character but the work itself is a means of development. Now it's interesting to me the fact that we're, that attention is drawn here to shielding from frost at night and sun by day, that attention is drawn to keeping out the weeds, the disease and the insect pest implies that it's possible to do that. And furthermore that it's desirable to do that. Now. If you have your garden as most people have their gardens, you can't do a lot to keep the insects out. You can't do a lot to keep the disease out. You can't do a lot to keep the weeds out. And you can't do a lot to protect them from frost. You have to create some kind of protected environment for plants if you want to do those things. So she's really talking about Protected agriculture. She's talking about low tunnels, high tunnels, greenhouses, whatever you want to call them. If you you look carefully here, now obviously that's not the only way to grow, but there are certainly some advantages to that. And uh, you start with, for what I'm suggesting, raised beds and low tunnels. And uh, we put this one together. It's outside the door here. Some of you saw it when you were coming in here. You can look at it when we're done. But uh, this is A model that I would like to suggest this is 4x12 and I'm going to show you how much you can grow in a 4x12 this one here used five pieces of half-inch conduit and uh, part of a piece of three-quarter inch conduit the the um, conduit the EMT conduit here um, thank you Amy I bought this, and and those of you who were at the gardening class last year uh, saw me demonstrate this. It looks like something that Cupid would use. But um, this thing here I got from Johnny's Seeds for a very modest price. And um, you can take a piece of half-inch or three-quarter-inch EMT conduit, and you can bend this into the shape of... Everything that you see there on the... Uh, that's, that's what made this. And it takes just a few minutes. Probably not more than a minute or two per arch. And there's four arches in a 4x12 bed. They're made of... My wife's afraid that, that uh, I didn't say that. But they're made out of half-inch or three-quarter-inch EMT conduit, which is standard electrical conduit. You can get it from... Any hardware store, Home Depot, Menards, uh, any place like that.
0: And, and he uh, said that that little tool was a modest price. It's like 50 or $60, so it's right. really affordable, and you can use it for little low tunnels, or you can use it um, for higher tunnels. I mean, it has a lot of uses.
1: Okay. And uh, this next one gives you the end view of it. You can see how the conduit has been bent into, into that arch. I think I measured 16 inches in from the end before actually creating the creating the bend. And it takes two bends, one for each side, and uh, you create the arch. And then um, on the top, we took a piece of half-inch conduit and uh, flattened it and uh, screwed or bolted it. You could use the hose clamps just to go over it rather than then actually drilling a hole in, and... Uh, using a, a screw. On the end, we stretch the plastic over it and use a strip of lath. You can use — it's really nice if you use um, a poly lock, but most people probably don't want to go to the trouble of getting that over the Internet. And uh, that screws down very easily. And um, you can see how we attach the conduit at the top on the end. We flattened it and rolled it around so it wouldn't snag the the plastic and we used a self-tapping screw there but it would be much better to actually use a cap screw, one with a rounded top there because it is a little bit uh, sharper on the top of the screw for the plastic. On the side we braced that with a piece of half-inch or three-quarter-inch conduit um, to keep the whole thing rigid and it's actually quite... Um, quite rigid and we put in there's a lot of different ways I'm just giving you suggestions like I said you can look at, at this and um, we put a staple in there and a hook and uh, you can put this rope on you don't have to but if you've got breeze and wind then to keep the plastic from flopping around you can put a couple of these this is two pieces of rope that are just threaded back and forth across there and held down with four bungee cords, two on each side. And um, they also have a staple down at the bottom. And then you can see what we've done is taken an, a piece of three-quarter inch, three-quarter inch EMT conduit and two EMT conduit straps. All this stuff is is very readily available at any hardware store in the electrical department and those are screwed on to the side of your raised bed. And a half-inch conduit fits very nicely uh, into the three-quarter-inch piece, and you can make that piece the the width of the board that you're using. This is a two-by-eight. And uh, so it's easily removable. So you can put this thing on when when you are starting your season in the cold weather, and then you can take the whole thing off and just have an open bed Uh, later when it warms up so you can grow in here corn or tomatoes for example and get started or melons and get started way, way, way earlier than you could even think of um, if you're just planting in the garden and uh, then of course once it warms up if you choose you can take the whole thing off if you want in order to let the plants get taller and uh, then there's a lot of different ways of, of doing this next step. Uh, this was one that Randy Trenzel here at the farm came up with. Um, he took a piece of... He actually took... This was a, an actually a long landscape fabric staple. And he bent one side, one of the legs, instead of it being shaped like this, he took one leg and actually rotated it around and so it of stuck up the other way. And, uh, and what it does is if you look there, the plastic is stretched up there to pre- provide ventilation. And that little, that little piece of wire, uh, you can see is what's holding it up. And I'm going to show you the way in which that is done. There's a hole drilled in the side of the conduit and in the next s- sequence of steps you can see that... Um, we slide that little bracket in there, push it in further and then when it's all the way in, you have this, this um, little bracket sensor that will swivel back and forth. So this, the plastic is down and so it's swiveled inside the, the structure and when you want to raise up the side for ventilation, then you lift the plastic up and swing that little bracket out and let it rest in there. But there are more than one way to do that for sure. And um, so when it's, when it's all done, it looks like this. Now, you can ventilate both sides if it's hot. Yesterday was not a particularly hot day, but in the, in the um, middle of the afternoon when it was as warm as it was going to get yesterday, whatever that was in the upper 70s, uh, I got inside of this with just one side open, and it was only a few degrees warmer inside than outside. And when I'm meaning a few degrees, it did not feel uh, at all uncomfortably hot, especially by plant standards uh, relative to the outdoor temperature and yet you're going to see noticeably faster growth inside this kind of environment than you would with a plant outside.
0: And, and that's something I just want to interject. A lot of people that aren't familiar with greenhouses and tunnels and stuff they, they think, oh the key is to keep my plants warm and so they do end up letting it get too hot inside. You really, um, and you can say what, you, it really needs to be moderate temperatures in there. You don't want it to be, you know, just cooking those plants. And then I, I can't tell you how many people have said to me, oh, well, the greenhouse didn't work. I mean, my plants just could never grow. They, they, they just wilted. And well, duh, they're too hot. So what are some good temperatures?
1: Plants basically like temperatures like my wife likes temperatures. Um, now, some people... Some plants like temperatures more like Michigan people like temperatures. So there are different, different uh, temperatures. But if you don't feel like crazy hot, the plant is doing okay. If it's, uh, plants can do fine into the 90s. And of course, you have your heat-loving plants like your, most of your cucurbits, which would be your cucumbers and melons and squashes, things like that. They love warm temperatures. Your 90s 90s are, are not a problem for them at all. Yes, Uh, most plants are beginning to really stress once you pass the 90s. And uh, they do not, they shut down once you hit 95. And um, the biggest advantage really is less to do with the day temperature and more to do with the night temperature. You want to keep the night temperature up. Plants uh, are cold-blooded animals. That's not right, is it? Uh, Plants have no ability to warm themselves. They, they are whatever their environment is minus their, their evapotranspiration, which will cool them down from that. But they have no ability to warm themselves. And so when you look at that, what that means is that um, chemical processes double for every 10 degrees Celsius increase in temperature. Translate that into lay language. That means... That your plant is going to grow twice as fast if it's 20 degrees warmer, or half as fast if it's 20 degrees cooler. So, if you go from 70 degrees to 50 degrees, your plant's going to take twice as long to grow. That's a basic rule of thumb because chemical processes universally double for every 10 degrees Celsius increase in temperature. So, um, a low tunnel like this can be opened. This one here, you can see the You can have it down, the plastic down, and have it completely. And it only takes a couple minutes to to open this up and close it down. And uh, you can have it closed on both sides, open on both sides, or open on one side and closed on the other side. I'm just dying
0: to know how long it took to build this little thing. Are you going to tell us? A week. No, it did not. I know that for a fact.
1: How long did it take?
0: Well, I know it took less than less than a day it took a few hours yeah it was just a few hours i mean it's so simple for you to do and all the all the things he's telling you i mean they're all things you can just buy at your little not counting the plastic
1: everything else was 20 bucks or less there's there's not much to the cost of this thing i'm not talking about the raised bed but i'm talking about the about the um, uh, the conduit and the bungee cords and the the rope it's pretty pretty simple very simple fast to put together Oops, I'm getting interrupted again.
2: No, I was just going to say, because I was thinking about it when I was sitting back there, and sometimes, like like he was saying how you have to open the sides, and if you travel or say you're gone to camp meeting, well, in that kind of situation, you can just leave the sides open, or in the winter, if it's cold, just leave the sides down, and if the plants have, unless the temperatures are extremely rare, most of the time they'll do okay. Right. That's correct. right.
1: You are very correct. We, we uh, have different weather in Arizona than we do in Michigan and um, even in the wintertime it can be 80 degrees outside we're at 4,000 feet elevation so we have real winters there it gets down into the teens at night and um, the the uh, daytime temperatures can get quite warm and there's a lot of solar intensity but on Sabbath we just leave oftentimes just leave our high tunnels, shut down, get 100 degrees in there, and it's not going to hurt anything for a brief period of time. A real problem comes if there isn't enough water to support that temperature or if it's day after day after day, but for a little bit of time, it's not going to hurt for plants to get get hot. And um, I know we just read that statement earlier that said that success is the result of compliance with all the laws you have to pay attention to detail. I'm not implying that you can be careless or that these things don't matter, but that um, in the real world that you live in, oftentimes um, a little bit of deviation is going to be probably um, less of an issue than, than it could be. Um, here's a couple of other quick pictures how the, the brace is wrapped around. And... Uh, to make it 12 feet long, conduit only comes 10 feet long, so we just joined two pieces together at the top for, um, for that ridge cap. Now, then um, moving on, we in Arizona, we make a lot of raised beds. We make hundreds and hundreds of feet of raised beds. Um, We grow stuff outside, we grow stuff inside in raised beds because we like being able to control what we put in the bed. And so this is what we do. We make our beds 50% sand. Now, that is not very conventional, I will agree. But then the other fraction, the other 50%, we make make it out of completely organic matter. What that does is, remember yesterday I was talking about how the type of soil you have is dependent upon the the mix of particle sizes. The organic matter, especially when you start, is going to have a lot of chunkier pieces in it. But as it breaks down over time, those pieces are decomposing to be smaller and smaller and smaller. By starting with 50% sand, you're guaranteed that by the time your bed is fully developed after several years, you will still not have a bed that's too too clay-like, too tight. And so um, uh, the sand gives drainage, and the sand also gives better lateral movement of water, crazy as that sounds. And uh, we use the rest, as I said, organic matter. And here, um, I have not done a lot of research in what's available, but I know that you can use at least a portion of that with sphagnum peat moss, uh, even though I'm not really fond of it. But uh, there's probably readily available in most of your box stores, composted forest material, basically composted bark and chips and stuff like that. Not likely to be, not likely to be very, uh, and I've talked to some of you about the fact that that's going to likely be very nitrogen deficient and not have much other nutrient in it, and so you're going to have to be very careful to make sure that you add enough enough nutrients. and because I haven't experimented with the particular products that you might have available for you the um, I'm I'm going to put a very clear uh, disclaimer that I don't know how much nitrogen you would need but I do know that in our situation where we use uh, all composted organic material and we use oftentimes composted uh, pecan shell which has it's like wood chips. It has very little, uh, very little nutritional material to it. But it does break down slower, so it doesn't uh, tie up the nitrogen as much. But this is what we do. We add to that, for a four by twelve bed, we add six pounds of gypsum, six pounds of dolomite lime, twelve pounds of the pellets that we that we make, and six pounds of seven one one. We mix that all up together. Uh, we put seven one one on the top, but. Um, and we like to leave it a week or so before we actually put anything in it. And, of course, water it. Yes, thank you, Janice. I would never succeed with some of those details, so thanks. Now, we have... Um, I want to get on to this part here because I think it's really important. Can you, see the, can you see the text? Is that too small? Yeah, I was afraid of that, but it wouldn't fit on the slide. Um, for those who are interested, I'll just give you kind of a, an overview here. Um, maybe tomorrow I can make the, the um, slide into two parts, but uh, I can also maybe copy it on paper for anybody who is really interested in, in actually getting the recipe here. It's not really a recipe, but this is something that, that um, I want to get to. Okay, what can you do with a 4x12 bed? especially those of you who are used to big gardens, what can you do with something as small as 4 by 12? So, when you look here, this is the, the, that principle, the, the P, of planning. And uh, if you notice here, except that you can't see it, I have down that a family of four would use 10 carrots a week. Now, There aren't very many families that are probably going to be eating four carrots a week in their normal diet. Probably everything that I've put in here is probably not what you would normally eat. But there's a reason why I'm putting this here. Okay, so I have ten carrots and six beets. This is use per week. Um, Three heads of lettuce, five radishes, six bunching onions, and one head of bok choy, which is a Chinese vegetable, half a head of cabbage, which would mean that you eat a head of cabbage every two weeks, and a couple of turnips, and 16 kale leaves. Now you know my wife is a big proponent of kale. Anybody who comes down to the farm store, you see she's always making samples of something out of kale. And you know the crazy thing is, is kale is determined right now to be the most nutritious vegetable you can buy in the store. But the fact is nobody likes to eat kale. Period. Okay? Now there are people who claim they do, but um, um, I'm just joking. But anyway, kale is not something that people generally enjoy eating, but the fact is, and I'm going to get to that in a few minutes, you can do some amazing things with kale that everybody likes. So you've got to have enough so that when you do those amazing things with it, there'll be enough around, right? So uh, anyway, that's a now you start thinking about 10 carrots for a family of four, 10 carrots, 6 beets, 3 heads of lettuce Five radishes, six bunching onions, a head of bok choy, uh, half a head of cabbage, two turnips, 16 kale leaves, and four leaves of chard. Every week out of this, out of that little space. Okay? And you can do that for months. That's a lot of garden veggies. All right? But the key is sequential plantings. You're putting in new stuff every two weeks. So you take you take a, a tray that you can buy down at the good news market, or you can get something like this from other places. Um, this one here is quite expensive. I don't necessarily recommend people get this one, I think. When we buy them by the pallet, we pay 5 or $6 each for these. They're very expensive, but they're injection molded and they will last forever. We've had ours for probably close to 10 years and, um, and they're still as good as the day we bought them except for the few that we run over with a forklift or something like that. But um, you, can, you can buy a standard 72-count tray. I'm very fond of 72-count. It's a nice size for for uh, letting the plant get big enough to transplant and still having you don't want to have too big of a root mass because if you do when you try to get the plant out there's not enough roots there to hold the whole thing together and so everything starts falling apart and it's a pain and you break a lot of roots and that's not a good thing so you have gotta have the right balance of size so I like the 72 count for that but this one tray this one tray seeded With And on that thing there, I've got a sample. You're going to have to find what works in your garden, in your climate, etc., etc. But this one tray, seeded every two weeks, will keep that stuff going that I just described. With the exception that you're going to have to direct seed carrots and radishes. Radishes grow way too fast to try to transplant. And carrots can't be transplanted because that taproot has to go straight down from the moment they germinate.
0: And the benefit of doing the transplanting rather than the direct seeding is that then if a seed doesn't germinate, that happened in this little tiny space instead of wasting space in your bed. So in other words, everything that grows really well in these little trays, then you're going to take that beautiful, perfect little baby plant and put it into the bed. And you already know that that spot in the bed is going to work and going to produce you a piece of food because it's already this beautiful little plant
1: here. That is assuming that you do everything right, and it doesn't die after you transplant it.
0: Well, but if you're
1: careful... Oh, that's right. right. I'm an optimist. Okay? So, so the key is you have a small space that you are doing things really well with. You transplant, and you have a plan so that you are doing something regularly. It doesn't take a lot of time. You go in here, and it might take you you... If you... keep your seeds in an easy to access little rubber made container so that you can get them out and you have a you have a little container let me get that here a little container of your potting mix that you've already put your fertilizer in that you have a that you get a container for that you put store somewhere you can fill up your tray water it down poke a little indentation with your finger put your seed in cover it up water it and put it under some some uh, compact fluorescent light bulbs in your, your house on a windowsill and, uh, and a little tray so that the water's not going to make a mess and, uh, and that'll grow for a few weeks and you've already cut down your growing cycle which means that when you look at, at a typical plant it might take three months to go from seed to harvest or it might take two months or whatever the, whatever the particular plant is you might, get, you might get three to four weeks of that growth time right here which means that you've now cut a third of your space out of your garden. And because you're going in there and replacing stuff every two weeks, then you, you're using that space very efficiently, and you're getting a very good, a very good result. Now, the last aspect, um, before I get back to, to the whole plants, uh, it's really, I think, um, so straightforward and, I think, inexpensive uh, to automate your drip irrigation. It's part of plants thrive on consistency. As does our spiritual experience. You cannot skip watering a plant for a day and it wilted down and make up for it by watering it twice as much the next day. The fact is, is that that consistency lets that plant keep growing at its maximum efficiency because you want the right amount of water and you don't want too much. So you're going to have to keep on top of, of making sure that you change the adjustment you know, from season to season and a very good rule of thumb is for me is when you dig into your bed, and I don't care if this is in your garden and your raised bed or wherever it is, you dig into the ground maybe three inches down, because that's where most of the roots are going to be, and you grab a handful of that dirt at the three-inch level and you squeeze it. If you get free water, meaning there's a drop of water that comes off of that, then you have enough water. If there's if there's a bunch of water comes off there, you have too much. So a very simple test. You can't have, you, you want to have free water when you give it a good squeeze at the three inch depth, a handful of that water. So here's a Home Depot sells this particular hose timer for 30 bucks. Put a 9 volt battery in that, screw it onto a garden hose faucet, put a garden hose onto that or you can get the little, um, the little adapters to go to a, a um, half-inch drip hose. And um, you can set this thing to water once every few days, to water four times a day. You can even get one there that on their website anyway that'll water 24 times a day. And uh, oftentimes it's very advantageous to have very short, just a minute or two pulses very frequently, especially if it's hot weather and you have a new transplant, you want to make sure that the, that the transplant that you put out there is getting frequent irrigation because the roots are confined to that little root ball, and even though the soil around it might be sopping wet, the only place that plant is getting water is from that little tiny cell that you put in there. And so it, it, it can really value frequent, small doses of water. How
0: long does it take? To, for the roots to go from that little tiny root ball out into the soil? How
1: many oh, days? Years. No, it's not years. Oh. I know it's just no, years. three, four days. Yeah. Just so watch it for the first three, four days. Yeah. Um, we've used this particular timer, and uh, I'm not very fond of it. I put it up there because this is the kind I'm not very fond of because it waters, oh. for example, the closest that you can put irrigation is every six hours. And uh, and I think that when you're doing transplants, that that's probably not frequently enough if it's the middle of a summer and you've got a dry hot spell. But um, uh, okay. I prefer okay. one okay. like this. Go back
2: to that. Go back to the one you like. Right here. So people can see it again.
1: Okay, this one here. There's there's you can get them all over the place. Just look for one that will give you frequent irrigation timings uh, when you and that you can have, preferably, that you can have control over when those things happen, not just water every six hours or something like that. Um, I'm trying to cover a lot of stuff in a very short period of time, so I like this particular hose. Very readily available for a little raised bed like what I'm describing there. This is quarter-inch drip tape with pre-installed emitters every 12 inches. Now, you you can do all kinds of things. But this is one that's very easy. You just kind of thread it out along your rows. And uh, I'm I'm, uh, I'm figuring rows spaced six inches apart. And of course there's a lot to this. I'm just giving you an overview, unfortunately. But um, um, you can thread this stuff along and, uh, and get a good, uh, a good irrigation coverage. And you can see the price for 100 feet of that is not very expensive. I mean, relatively, $16.47. That's only a dozen heads of lettuce at conventional lettuce at the grocery store. So there's there's a lot of of uh, details, of course. And um, I would like to say that. Probably one of the most important things is if you 're growing this kind of if you 're growing these kind of plants that i 've listed there, those are all frost tolerant plants. they can go down to fairly cool temperatures without suffering serious problems if they 're protected so you can in fact um, Elliot Coleman has a book called Four Season Gardening, I think it is. Um, you can get it at Amazon and other places. He shows you how you can raise plants in Maine all year long. And Michigan is not as, as bad as Maine is. But part of the trick is you grow your plants up before it gets too cold and the light levels are too low, and then you use your raised bed essentially as your cold storage as your root cellar. And so you can go out there and continue to harvest your lettuce, your carrots, your beets, etc. They're not going to be growing because the light levels are too low and the, and the temperatures are too cool. But you can continue to harvest well into the winter that way and then because of how this low tunnel works, you can plant your transplants very early in the spring, probably even in February, get them a good size, and put them out in your low tunnel in March. And by then, it's warm enough that you're not going to have any problem. You may even be able to push the the limits back a little further. And one of the ways that you can do that is by putting this frost cloth material on your plants inside your high tunnel. You spread this over, you get another five degrees of of, uh, protection, of warmth, from this little insulating blanket, we use that. We have uh, 10,000 square feet of of high tunnel. We take this on and off every day in there in the wintertime, and uh, we were actually able to get a tomato not to freeze in our high tunnel in Arizona when the temperatures got down to 9 degrees outside in an unheated high tunnel uh, with just plastic on the top and a frost cloth on top of the plant. Now obviously Arizona has the advantage that because there's a lot of sunlight, it does absorb a lot of temperature into the soil. So I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you could grow tomatoes in a low tunnel, unheated, in, uh, in the wintertime in Michigan. But you can get a lot more frost protection by doing some of those things, which lets you get your garden started very early and grow for a long period of time and harvest for an extended period and therefore get a lot of plants from a small space. Now, I had my daughter, not this one, her older sister, make up some suggestions of what you can do with some of those things that that I suggested. Now, like I said, when we think of gardening, we often think of things that are impossible to grow for extended periods of time. Like, everybody loves their corn, their tomatoes, their cucumbers, their melons, and things like that but what if you can't eat those does that mean that you can't have fun from your garden and get a lot of food that you enjoy eating here's that here's a list here and you probably can't see these either right okay uh, kale chips I don't know I don't know anybody that doesn't like kale chips you know what a kale chip is you take the leaves and you, and you sprinkle a little bit of, uh, you drizzle a little bit of, of uh, seasoning on it. And then you put them in a dehydrator. And you dry them down until they're paper thin and crispy. And I can eat a whole bag of them and, uh-oh.
2: Just, just a little more description than seasoning. Um, on the kale chips, you can do just some olive oil and garlic and salt. Or you can do something more gourmet, like a um, cashew cheesy sauce on them. Just a little tiny bit. Amazing. Yeah. And she didn't have on this list here either, but you can even use um, things like kale instead of spinach in your lasagna. You'll never know the difference. Like wilt it down a little bit and just stick it in like you would your spinach.
0: And your turnip leaves, your turnip tops that everybody throws away, just wilt those down and put them in lasagna
1: nobody knows the difference. Okay. And they're so good for you. Yeah. And they grow in your garden. Hmm? Okay, that's that's good. Okay, kale butter. We we take. Uh, we live in ranching country, right? Arizona, Wilcox, Arizona, used to be the cattle capital of North America. More beef cows shipped through that city town than any place else for a period of time. That is meat and potatoes country minus the potatoes. It's it's uh, it's it's not very healthy. And so we have a trucker that comes over there and uh, his wife is a manager at McDonald's and uh, he does not eat anything in the way of what I would consider healthy. And so we tried some of these things on him and, uh, and he enjoyed it. Kale butter. Are you going to make that Janice?
2: Yeah we're going to have it at the store this afternoon. You've got to try it. It's okay. amazing. Now,
1: don't take my word for it. You try it and you'll decide that you don't like it. But the fact is, is you might try and decide you do like it. So you can make... I, I don't
2: think I've had anyone who doesn't like it, though. So if you I, guys are one of those, then, then that would be...
1: Set some records. Yeah, And okay. we're
2: never offended if you say
0: you don't like something, because we weren't the one that made the kale. God was. So yeah. um, it, it's okay. Can... You're going to like something else that God made. You're going to like radishes okay. better than me, or you're going to like something else better than me. Cranberry so, orange
1: almond kale salad. Minted kale apple walnut salad. Garbanzo jalapeño kale and sweet potato soup, baby kale leaves and kale pesto. I'm just going through those things to say you can do a lot of things, and if you look at these, and here's another, here's another thing, And we'll, we'll make these available uh, with carrots and beets and kohlrabi and radish and collards and chard and Asian greens. There's a lot of things that you can do that you don't normally think of with things that, that are these cool season, non-traditional type crops that you can grow for a long time and you can add a lot of interest to your diet without having to have the tomatoes and cucumbers and melons and corn that we often think of from our garden.
0: And that's not to say that you don't want to grow those other things, but those other things you can just hardly, their, your growing season is so short, so start finding fun ways to use these things that you can grow year-round.
2: And and one other thing okay. really quick on the, on the kale butter at the market, also some people came down wanting the kale smoothies yesterday and they weren't there on time, so... We will have that again today as well if you missed out on yeah,
0: it. Yeah, so and we ran out yesterday too for the people that came after we ran out, but we'll try not okay. to run out today.
1: So I tried to put a lot of stuff in a short time, and I probably should have spread it out over a longer period of time, but there's a lot of things that, that, um, that I would like to um, say about these, these things, and so we only have a few minutes left for questions. If somebody has questions, the mic is right there, and uh, we'll have about five minutes of questions. If uh, if anybody has them, and while you're coming
0: up, then afterwards he mentioned it. You can go out those doors to, to touch and see that tunnel in person.
1: If if you're interested, and crawl inside of it and
0: pretend it's a playhouse.
1: Okay. Any questions? If you could take the come up to the mic there, then um, they can make it so everybody can hear. Yeah, I'm just curious with the drip system are you trying to water the entire bed or just where the plants are? You know, with a generally drip system, you just try to hit the spot, but with six inches apart from those lines, yes. are you watering everything? Yes. Is that your goal? It ends up, I put the drip tape right beside, of the drip system right beside the, right on the rows, but I put the rows, I make a, a, a six inch row pattern. So essentially, like for example, beets, you might plant the beets six inches apart the lettuce would be 8 inches apart, but each of those rows are 10 inches or whatever, but each of the rows are 6 inches apart. And so you get varying spaces in the row depending on the variety of plant, but you have these tight row spacings. So you're going to put a lot of, of, uh, of drip tape in there, and you probably will want to run more than one tape. And what you'll end up with at, at that tight of spacing is you're going to be keeping the entire bed wet. right? And, this, and the plants are in between. Yeah, they're, they're not they're not right along the line. They're, they're right, right they're along the line. They're right along the line. Yeah. Preferably you like to have your you like to have an emitter right beside a plant if you can get it, but you don't always get that. But that's that's what you would like.
0: Okay. When building the raised beds, what about using treated lumber or do you use just regular lumber?
1: Okay. Everybody would love to use treated lumber because it lasts a long time. The reality is that treated lumber uh, is toxic. That's why it's treated, because you don't want any bacteria or fungus or any of these decomposing organisms to to, um, to break it down. And that same toxin that's going to be keeping the lumber from breaking down is also going to be affecting the soil and the plants, potentially, and so I don't like it. Go ahead.
2: Yeah.: the, um, I live in Kentucky, and uh, you were saying you, you have 50 percent sand in, the, in your mix. Mm-hmm. Um, We've we got heavy, heavy clay there. What would you suggest? We still use, get sand and use in it? I mean
1: We have very heavy clay in Arizona. That's why I don't put any of the native soil in the bed. I just make my own mix and fill the bed, and then I put the bed on native soil so the plant can grow down into it if it chooses which it will, but um, because there's a lot of variability between soils, you can have some place where the soil is very sandy, some place where it's very heavy clay, and everything in between. So I like to just make my own mix, and then I know what I've got.
2: Right. Uh, second question was, your tomatoes, they grow, you say, 50, 60 feet tall? In... We,
1: yes. Um, in the greenhouse, a tomato probably... Um, probably 30, 40 feet is what we would get typically typical growth over the course of a year. Now, when you walk into the greenhouse, you won't see it that tall because most of that's laying on the ground.
2: Yeah. What variety is that?
1: There, there's a number of varieties that you can use. The ones that we use in the greenhouse are all um, Dutch varieties, Dutch bred varieties, specifically for greenhouse production because they have a set of characteristics that really work well for the environments of the greenhouse. Yeah, Are they readily available? For... Um, you can get the seed, if you wanted to order some, from, from uh, Johnny's. They have many of the varieties from Johnny's. Uh, the ones that we use are probably not available from Johnny's, but, but they have similar types. OK, thank
0: you. Are you going to have copies of the recipes? Uh, most of them are on the Good News Farm website. And what you do is when you get on the website, then click on Farm Box. And then after you get in the Farm Box section, then click on Farm Box recipes. And we're always putting more recipes up there. Is all the information on these meetings on there too?
1: Not, no. not now. We're, uh, I wish so. But uh, I spend so much time gardening that I don't have time <laughs> to do the things I would like to do. But uh, we'll try to get that information available.
0: So there won't be well, there won't be no
1: handouts in you know, these classes. You know, we can bring some tomorrow. Particularly, um, yeah, we'll try to get some of the some of the key things out tomorrow. We'll try supplies
2: that you need for to make that kind of thing. This list of su- we'll, list of
1: supplies. We'll try. If we don't succeed, you can um, well at least you give you our contact information, and you can contact us for any specific information that you need. Okay. Thank you.
0: I asked this question yesterday, but I didn't have a pen um, with me when I got stuff over at the good news farm across the street there but my wife and I do a lot of container gardening in five gallon buckets for tomatoes. What would you recommend as far as the seven one one and the pellets for a five gallon bucket like what would your recipe
1: for that well be? um Container gardening for a big crop like tomatoes is quite challenging because they can get nutritionally deficient very quickly, even if it's what you would call hidden hunger, meaning that you can't see the deficiency. Uh, A five-gallon pail is pretty small for for a tomato. Normally, if we were growing a tomato in that small a volume, you would be using a hydroponic system, meaning that you would be constantly feeding uh, food with it. But you could do that by putting on probably uh, a cup of... 711 every few weeks uh, at, at, at least, and uh, maybe that much the pellets too. And that much a
0: week of the pellets too?
1: Well, I would probably put that on every two to three weeks. Okay. Yeah, and uh, keep it watered in. Okay, thank you. And this would be the last question. Byron, I just wanted to say I used cement blocks to make my raised beds yes. this year and they were quite reasonable they were like 97 cents a block at lowe's and with your cement blocks you can just till your ground prepared set the block in place and then one of my friends i found they had filled their cement blocks with with soil and stuck onion sets in there so you can grow an onion set inside of your blocks and then looking at your your uh tunnel that would be conceivably a good way to set your tunnel, too. You could set the stakes inside the cement blocks. It yes. might give you a little added protection. Yes. But I, but I, I use that, and, and the only hurdle I can't cross is getting the weeds out of my garden. They, they beat me up. Okay, we'll talk about weeds tomorrow, but um, thank you for that, for that comment. When I show this particular low tunnel, uh, raised bed, all this kind of stuff, I want to make very clear that I am not trying to say this is the way to do things, this is a suggestion. You can improvise, you can adapt, and should do that. If you have resource limitations, try to think of ways in which you can try to get uh, the 80-20 rule to work for you. 80% of the benefit comes from 20% of the investment. So, if you try to try different things, don't be intimidated to try things. With that, uh, let's close with prayer. Father, we want to thank you that you are so good to us that you have given us the privilege of ministering to the garden with the assurance that it will be given back to us good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Lord, I pray that we can experience all the benefits that you want for us spiritually as well as physically and mentally. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse